How are we? Are we excited? Have been jumping for joy? So what's this month about then? This Chesvan. What's it about? Which tribe is it related to? Manasseh. And that was one tribe, like we shared it this morning, that was on one side of the Jordan. And Joshua said, that's fine, but you need to join in the fight on the other side. Yeah? Hold that thought. It's nothing to do with what I'm talking about, but I just thought it was good. I may return to it a bit later. Because today I'm going to educate you. Are you ready to be educated? Do I have my permission to educate you? You are assuming you mean educating in some nice biblical doctrine. We're going to do a science. I want to tell you about the Gay-Lussac equation. Does anybody know about the Gay-Lussac equation? Does that mean anything to anybody? See, you're all going to learn something new today. So let me explain it to you. Here it is. So for the, purpose of, uh, for the benefit of those that are listening to this on tape, this is 6 carbon hydrogen 2 O in brackets goes to 2, open brackets, C2H2OH, close brackets, plus 2 CO2. So now you know what the Gay-Lussac equation is all about. Is that not making it clearer to anybody at all? Come on, there's a few educated folk in the room. I know you are. Come on, what is this about? Okay, it's chemistry. Fine, okay. Yeah, and I, yes, I know. I'm a chartered chemist. So I, you know, I feel very comfortable with this zone. A, a bit of mouse. No? Let me give you a bit more. So on the left-hand side, we have fermentable sugars. Goes to ethanol and carbon dioxide. In the presence of yeast, nutrients, and the reduction of oxygen, or the lack of oxygen, producing some heat. Booze, wine, beer. Suddenly, everybody's interested. <laughs> when it was chemistry, not interested. But now this is about producing beer and wine. Suddenly, you've all sat up. Okay, so yes, on the left-hand side, we have sugars. Not all sugars, but fermentable sugars. 180 grams on that little equation there, can you see? Or 100% of it. And then you apply some yeast, some nutrients, make sure there's no oxygen there, and it turns into ethanol, 92 grams. Can you see it says there? 51%. And right over on that side there, what is that? Yeah, it's not water, thank you. It's back to, back to your O-levels, GCSEs there. That is carbon dioxide. H2O would have been water. And how much? 88 grams, 49% is carbon dioxide. Now, what is carbon dioxide? It's a gas, yes? It's a gas, Okay. It's what you breathe out. So when you are fermenting something, turning the sugar into alcohol, what is produced? Lots of carbon dioxide. So here we have a picture of wine being fermented. It doesn't take very long on Google to find pictures. That's all I've done here. That is some barrels of wine being fermented. Can you notice there is no lid on it? In fact, though, I'm not into home brew, but apparently one of the things you can do to prove that your fermentation process has ended is to put a balloon on the top. And if it's still going on, the balloon will inflate. I didn't know that. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it's producing gas. And if that balloon doesn't inflate, then you take the balloon off and you put your cork in all is well. Because what happens if you put your cork in too quickly is you have a little disaster. 
It does look like a bit like a murder scene, yes. I think uh, it's obviously somebody does the... <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. Remind us not to look at the pictures when you're doing this talk, uh, Marie. Um, there's a kind of a bottle in the middle back there, isn't there? I presume that's uh, another bottle that was uh, fermenting. But clearly, he, whoever did this uh, has got, got his timings wrong, and it's <laughs> exploded. Okay, right. So, so it, it happens. It's, it's not, I've never done home brew or home fermenting, but that's clearly... And can you see the chemistry tells you that's what's going to happen? Of 180 grams, half of it, you know, so half of the volume of what you're putting in there is going to turn to gas. And gas, the weight of gas is a huge volume. Taking into a bit of physics as well there. Because it's a gas, you see, so it's an enormous volume. What is Hawthorne talking about this morning? I'm interested in the wine, but what's it all about? As wine ferments, it releases gas. If constrained, the pressure will build up and eventually cause an explosion. Okay? So Jesus, and when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Matthew 26, 26. So Jesus is saying, my covenant is like wine. We celebrated communion today, didn't we? We partook in that relationship, saying, this new covenant, I'm entering into it, and the symbol of wine, says it's more than that, this is just like it. This wine is just like, this is what it's all about, and we took part in it. In Luke, Matthew, and Mark, Jesus not only said that this wine represents my covenant, he said it's like new wine. Now, I've given you the chemistry of it. And I've shown you the examples. So doesn't it make sense that when he starts talking about new wine, he's saying that it is still fermenting and you cannot contain it in an inflexible container. We know the passage, don't we? You can't put new wine in an old wineskin. And we use that to talk about church transformation, church change, new vision, new prophecy, new things in our lives. And we, and we can't contain it. And that, you know, that's exactly right. Because it's new wine. Our relationship with Jesus is like we've got some new wine. And just like the wine that we've seen, as, this, as it grows and as it develops, it is going to ferment inside of you. This new covenant that we've entered into with Jesus, and we take it inside, will begin to ferment. It will develop. I told you it was good. I know. If we constrain that new wine, that new word within us, it's going to cause pressure to build up. So if we say, okay, I'm embracing all that you've got for me, God, by definition, if we try and contain that into our experience, whether it be a church experience or our lifestyle experience, or, or we just try and hold that within what I am comfortable with, 
inevitably, pressure will build. And ultimately, if you can't let it out, there'll be an explosion. Why do people get angry when they leave church? <laughs> because there's some pretty powerful, pretty impressive gases, spiritual gases that have developed within them that's just got to get out. If God wasn't working in all of our lives, this wouldn't happen. But when we invite him in, he says, okay, let's make some change. Let's begin to ferment some of that sin out the way. Let's try and ferment some of that bad thinking. Let's try and ferment some, let's convert the old sugars into new wine. Let's try and get rid of that, 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 that fatty stuff and turn it into good stuff. And as we do that, <laughs> let's release the fat into new wine. Absolutely. You know, but as a consequence, pressure, pressure, pressure. What's next? I don't know. Here we go. If you've got your Bibles, Luke 5.39. Have a little look. Luke, have a, let's have a look at Luke. Um, only works in certain parts of the country, that line. Can't get away with it in the south. Let's have a look at Luke. <laughs> because I just want to show some different... We'll have a variety of translations here. The passage is about when you've drunk some old wine, it's comparing it to the new wine. Okay, so does somebody want to just shout out probably the last few words of that verse? In your translation, what do you get? The old is just fine. What translation was that? NLT. The old is better, and that's in King James. <laughs> okay, right, good, all better. Hedging their bets there. The old is just fine. What translation is that? Okay, cool. So there is a number of different explanations on this verse, okay? So in King James, no man also having drunk old wine straightway desireth new, for he saith the old is better, okay? And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better, is in uh, the NIV. And no one who has ever tasted fine aged wine prefers unaged wine, that's the message, always useful for a alternative view, but no one who drinks old wine seems to want the new wine. The old is just fine. That one. And no one after drinking old wine desire, desires new, for he says the old is good. And no one after drinking old wine wishes for new, for he says the old is good enough. New American Standards, okay? So the d words at the end there, can we see we've got some betters, and prefers, just fine, and good, and good enough. That's a big difference, actually, isn't it? To say better is a different message to say good enough. See, some translations say old is better, i.e. it is comparatively superior. It takes a minute just to digest that little cartoon, though. It's, it's, a, it's a cassette and an iPod, okay? That's, okay? But I have to tell you, it's a mistranslation. To say, to say it is comparatively superior is not the correct translation. The word that is used is krestos, if you allow me that Greek pronunciation, which means useful, gentle, pleasant, kind. 
It is not a comparative. It is not better at all. It just means nice, good, fine. So it's not a superlative. So when we look at that verse, it is not saying old is better than new. It's not what it's saying. Now, I've just told you the new covenant that we've entered into is like taking on board new wine. So that's actually quite, a, quite an important principle, that the old is not better than the new. It's not what it's saying. What it's actually saying, and I've got it in the New American Standard, it's the one I use, therefore it's the best, and no one after drinking old wine wishes for new, for he says the old is good enough. And that's probably accurate enough phrase, good enough, it's okay, it's fine, it'll do. That's much more... So no one having drunk old wine will say to the new, I want that because it's good enough. What I've got is fine. Can you see that's quite a different message to what I had is better than what you're giving me. It's what I've got will do me fine. So the transformative power of God's new wine can be completely neutralized in our lives by thinking, that what I had before was enough. If we take on board the message that what I had was okay, then we have neutralized the ability of the new wine to bring transformation into our lives. Okay? It completely negates it. What I had was fine. New wine has a new taste. It is a new thing. It is actually better. The verse was not saying the opposite of that. I'll tell you, it is better. It is new. What God has for our lives, it is new. But the thing that will completely destroy the work of God in the transformative power of our lives is saying, well, what I had was fine. Reminds me of a tribe on one side of the Jordan who had arrived in their safe land. And yet the battle was happening over there. They could have said, yeah, this is nice here. I like it. It's good. I'm comfortable. But Joshua said, no, no. In fact, he said, well done, but you don't think that. Because the battle's over here, in the new land, in the promised land. So if you want to enter into your promised land, God may have given you a nice, comfortable, easy bit. You may have got your feet on the ground. You've got that beachhead. But actually, it's over here. And there's pressure. And if you don't want it, fine, settle over here. That's great. It's comfortable. It's nice. It's safe. But it's not the new wine. It's not the new wine that will transform all of our lives. That's over there, across the Jordan, across where the fight is. So God's new covenant will completely challenge our complacency. If there's any complacency... you know, and as a few years have gone by, and I'm in my 30s now, um, then, um, you didn't know where I started counting, do you? Um, I said, as a Christian, yeah. No, still not. <laughs> Actually, I might because I was 14. Just still in there, maybe. I have to work out the dates. I think I'm 40. Anyway, uh, complacency is very comfortable. You see, we like church, don't we? We can do church. There are thousands and thousands of good people across this, probably tens of thousands, across.
across this nation this very morning who are having a fantastic time doing church. But within that group, there are some people who say, I'm not satisfied, and I want more. Amen. Doing well. Two. Um, it's a score. Complacency is very dangerous because we think we've arrived. We think, I can do this. This is, this is, this is, I like this. I'm comfortable in the surroundings. I know what happens. I know where I sit. I know how the service unfolds. I've got a degree of authority or power or I have a place. I fit. This is great. And the worst thing that can often happen to us in the church context is suddenly that glove is taken off and we don't know where we fit anymore. And you change the way we do the lyrics onto a new thing, or we change a different form. You know, things change. We know, don't we, in this fellowship, change happens. We have to embrace it. To the credit of Jenny and Steve, they're driving it through here, rightly, change has to happen. There is no place for complacency here. Now, let's not be proud of that, but we have to accept it. And, you know, and if we liked what it was, and I was just using the lyrics as an example because it was on my mind. You know, there's thousands we could have quoted. If we liked what it was and we aren't able to embrace what it is going to be, then we're stuck from allowing the new wine to go. Or if we try and contain it, no, I'm not going to. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it this way. What happens? The pressure builds, the pressure builds, the pressure builds, and eventually it cannot be contained in that wineskin. Bang! Complacency and flexibility are completely at odds with God's new wine of his new covenant in our lives. So don't worry if you feel under pressure. Don't worry if you're thinking, I don't know what is happening here and it's all changing. That's all part of the process. So have you lost your desire for the new? Has the new wine run out in you? What a horrible thought. The new wine has run out. That ran out in John 2, 10 to, 1 to 10. Horrible thought that the wine actually ran out. Jesus' first miracle, isn't it? But we can, same with us, isn't it? Sometimes the wine runs out in our Christian lives. The new wine. And we've become complacent with the old because it was good enough. I'm doing a good thing. What I'm doing in my church life, in my Christian life, it's good enough. None of who's criticizing it, it's good enough. But it's not the new wine. The new wine brings change, brings pressure. So let's have a look in John 2, 1 to 10. So what actually happened? Jesus' mother brought the situation to Jesus' attention. You know the, you know the parable as well as I do, so let's not bother reading it. But what actually happened is Jesus' mother said... To Jesus, the wine's run out. So are you bringing it to God's attention that the wine may have run out in your life or in your partner's life or in your friend's life or in your children's life? Lord, the wine seems to have run out. The new wine, the, the desire to embrace the new doesn't seem to be in them anymore, doesn't seem to be in me anymore. Are you bringing it to his attention? Step one. Now, Jesus had no plans to perform a miracle that day. He says that quite clearly. 
said, oh, mother. In Hebrew, Aramaic. But, but his mother's request put a draw upon him. Jesus did not get ready for that party thinking, hey, tonight's the night, I'll show them. Just you wait until I do this you know, thing with the water and the wine. It's going to be fantastic. He was just going out to a party. A wedding party. Probably not the first one he'd been to. One of many. His friends would have been of the age where they were getting married or had already got married. So we don't know why he was there, but he was there. And completely out of the blue, somebody, his mother, put a draw on him and says, I need something from you. Was he inviting us to put a draw on him? I need this from you, Lord. Now, my wine's run out. Their wine has run out. The newness of it all seems, or I'm under pressure. My flexibility is being tested. My complacency is being tested. I need something from you. Put that draw on him. She then acted in faith. She says, whatever he says to you, do it. Now, did she expect a miracle? We don't know. Did she expect him to reorganize the wine supply, to sort it out, to administer the problem, to bring his skills to bear as an intelligent young man? Or did she expect him to turn the wine into I'm sure she didn't expect that. That had come as a surprise to her. But she knew that's where the solution was. So the outcome may not be the way you are expecting it or I'm expecting it. It might be miraculous. It might be rather mundane. But it is God's... You invite him in. And he will bring about change. He will soften your inflexibility. He will move you out of complacency if you ask him. But it might not be exactly the way you're thinking of. Lord, I'm struggling in the business. Lord, send lots of new business. So you expect all these miraculous customers to come file through the door. He might have a different plan for you. He might have a different plan. I don't know. But you've got to invite him in. The wine's run out. I need more of you, God. He loves that. He absolutely loves us saying, I want more of you. It's one of the joys of parenthood is that we begin to learn a little bit of what life is like from God's point of view. When our children, or what age they are, say, I want you, I need to be with you, I want to spend time with you, it's humbling. When they're little, you expect it, but when they get older, it's, it's quite nice. God's heart is even more so. I want to be with you, fine, I want to be with you too, son, daughter. And of course, the outcome of this, you've kept the good wine until last. So not only had he solved the immediate problem at hand, the wine had run out, he'd actually done far above and beyond that which anybody had expected. The best wine is what he had. The new wine is the better wine. The old wine, good enough. I can cope with that. The old wine, it's fine. The old wine's nice and religious. Nice and honorable. What I used to do is comfortable. But the new wine, oh, so much better. Let's just pray. And as we're praying, if something I've said 
has triggered in your mind that you know the wine has run out for you or a loved one. I just want to pray into that. As your heart is open, and that's one of the reasons why we gather, is to hear God's word to us corporately. And his word to us corporately this morning is, I want to reignite your passion. I want to move you from complacency. I want to soften the inflexibility because I've got something far better ready for you. So if you know that's where you're at, then just receive from him now. Just receive. Father, I just pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. Lord, I know we're all on a journey, but I know that you are the destination. And Father, I ask as hearts this morning have opened to you and said, I want more, that you would meet them tenfold. If hearts have said, I'm not content where I am, that you would move them across the Jordan, that you'll move them into the place they need to be. If hearts have said, I feel the pressure, I feel the constraint, I don't like it, that you would bring a softening of their hearts, that you'll bring an openness to respond to your call upon their lives. Father, we recognize that we need your covenant, the new wine of your covenant in our lives, that we need for you to bring about the transformative power in our lives and in those around us. And we put a draw upon you this morning and say, Father, please, we beseech you, pour out your new wine into us. Because I know, and I know, and I know, Lord, that you've saved the best.